as I'm getting set up and prepared here, I would like to tell you that one of the things about doing this that is not all that enjoyable is, is wearing this microphone. <laughs> it isn't easy on my ear, and I'm always afraid that the person on the soundboard is going to get even with me and turn it on while I'm singing. If you would, please turn to Psalm 28. That is our text for today. Psalm 28. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe that when you study God's word and share it with others, the presenter is the first and maybe the most blessed by the truth of God's word and the nature of him being revealed through the time of your study. And Psalm 28, for me, was no exception to that. And in that time that I had to study God's word, I believe it came kind of naturally uh, what the name and title of my message should be, and that is a source of strength. It is David's account of being strong and how strength is achieved. And as I was going through and preparing for this message and I was part of the way seeing what David was, was speaking of, my thought turned to, I wonder what others might have said about strength. What were some of the quotes that maybe I could turn to? So I did just that. I, I did a search for strengths from some people of some type of notoriety. And I chose some. There were many, but I just chose them kind of randomly. One of the things that I thought of when I picked them was not so not much necessarily the content, but maybe it was names that you would recognize. I'd like to share four with you. The subject is strength. First one. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Helen Keller. The depths and strengths of a human character are defined by its moral reserves. People reveal themselves completely only when they are thrown out of the customary conditions of their life for only then do they have to fall back on their reserves. Leonardo da Vinci. He who believes is strong. He who doubts is weak. Strong convictions precede great actions. Louisa May Alcott. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Winston Churchill. Kind of in the order that I read them. Kind of a brief thought of what I was thought that they were saying about strength was the first experience of trial. Second, fall back on their reserves, believe, strong convictions, and last, never yield to the enemy. So does David speak of these things in Psalm 28? 
because he is the instrument of God's giving us his word, we receive God's direction and wisdom because of what David has written. And he is writing not just words of men and women. So please follow along as I read Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my plea for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their works and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hand. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of, my, of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Bless the reading of God's word. The first five verses of this psalm is a prayer, and it's David's prayer, and in it you will notice that the only way that he refers to God is by using the word Lord, Yahweh. It is a prayer of supplication. And as we think about our time of prayer on Wednesday night, and we always remind um, ourselves and our young people, A-C-T-S is how we form our prayer time. S is supplication, so it means that David is asking for something. So what is he asking for? I think it is a saint in distress and doom from God's enemies. That's how I summarize the first part that we will be looking at. A saint in distress and doom from God's enemies. So he prays God would graciously hear and answer his prayer. In verse 1 and 2, he has a prayer of faith to God. He says, O Lord, my rock, show me my belief in God and your power is not wasted, but you can be trusted. But right behind that, he says, yes, be not deaf or silent and hear the voice of the pleas of my mercy. Not because there's doubt there, not because the Lord can't be trusted, but just the opposite, because he can be. And because he can be trusted, David uses the term, he is my rock. Some commentators say that in the midst of this psalm and in this prayer, it must be the situation that David is in a trial, doesn't quite know the outcome yet, so he doesn't know if God is really going to come through for him or not. Others would say, no, 
David is in trial. He has been before. And he knows that God can be trusted. And that's why he says, my rock. And I agree with them. I think it's very evident that David knows that in the midst of trial, his strength will come from the Lord. And then I thought, it doesn't tell us really when in his lifetime that this came. When could this have really come about? How early? And I thought to myself, I think this could go back to the time when he faced Goliath. It doesn't say that. I'm just putting it out there. Well, what would make me think that? Well, here's David facing Goliath, and would that be the first time that he had ever been using that weapon to deliver himself from trouble? And I think, no. In the account right before that, in, in some of the information that we get, it says that he faced lions and bears with stones and was victorious because he trusted in the rock. God himself, not the stone, but the rock that he could stand on. Me? I'm going to want lead. <laughs> At a high muzzle velocity from a large caliber firearm. But David trusted in the rock. David prays, if you be silent to me, like those who go down to the pit. In other words, he's saying, Lord, don't treat me like those that are in hell and have no future and no hope. He's not saying that he doubts God. He's just saying that there is a difference between those that trust in God and those that don't. And that is that we have God on our side that he will be steadfast and faithful to deliver us from whatever that situ situation might be. And we don't have to fear. And I think that this is reaffirmed by the next verse because it says that he was assured that the Lord would intervene because he lifted up his hands toward the most holy sanctuary. He lifted up his hands toward the most holy sanctuary. Now on a Wednesday evening, not too long ago, we heard somebody give their testimony and said they were a little concerned about people that lifted up their hands during church services and praying and singing. So I don't think it's about technique. I don't think it's, that it's raising his hands. I think it's about his reference to the sanctuary. And what would David know about the sanctuary? And this is part of the great thing of God's word. God's word explains and tells us about God's word. Numbers 7, verse 89 says, And when Moses went into the tent, the tent of meeting, to speak with God, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim and it spoke to him. See, God has always, since revealing himself to his people, said, I will have a place and I will dwell among you. And it will be my sanctuary. 
and you will see me there in visible signs. At one time, it was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. Moses went to meet the Lord and hear from him in the sanctuary. David knew that. David knew God's word, and he said, God, I can trust you because you are the God that speaks to his people, just like in the sanctuary. But we can also be reassured that we are heard when we come before God by that same thing, part of God's word, Hebrews 9, verse 24, where it says, For Christ has entered not only not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In that same dwelling place is Christ himself, not in a tent, not in anything made by man, but at the throne room of God himself, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people when we come before him in prayer. That should be the base and the rock of our confidence. Christ the King is there. The psalmist prays that the Lord will punish the enemy. Verse 3. He prays, save me from being in, in, entangled in the snares that, have laid me, laid, they, that they have laid for me. Those who speak peace to me, but their aim is to destroy. David said, I have to watch out that with flattering lips speak friendship, but they choose and their motive is to kill or to harm. David said they cannot be trusted. He wants a warning from God that he sees and knows and understands that they are different. They are evildoers. They are wicked. They are not God's people. And he says, he says save me from the infliction that they will receive at your right hand. Yes, we are different. Believers in God are to be separate from those of this world that are evil. Matthew Henry would write in his commentary on this very verse, quoting from him, those that are careful not to partake with sinners in their sins have reason to hope that they shall not partake with them in their plagues. And what helped him form that thought was also God's word, not only from this psalm, but Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, which says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. But David also goes on and he prays that the just judgment of God may come upon the workers of iniquity. Verse 4, David prays, Praise, give them according to their deeds. Don't confuse this. This is not language of passion or revenge. And it really is not inconsistent with our duty to pray for those that are our enemies, that are lost. But it was to show how far the righteous should be from the workers of sin and evil. Over and over in this psalm, we see David showing the difference between evildoers and God's people. And there definitely should be a difference. 
That's why we must be on guard in the house of God that those that would do us evil are not allowed in our midst. That does not mean that we don't welcome sinners to sit and hear God's word. No, it means that we should not openly have them enter into fellowship and membership with us. But also this prayer is a prophecy. He prophesies about destruction to the uh, to the destroyers, those that work evil. But also there's more than that. Not only those uh, that have evil deeds, but also those that are in rebellion before God himself. He foretells of their destruction because of their contempt for God. Verse 5. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hand. See, what David is saying is there are many that not only show their wickedness openly by acts, but subtly they say and do not give credit to God for what is God. They say, this big universe somehow came about. Some other God must have formed it. Or maybe the universe itself is God because it's such a great thing. Or they don't acknowledge God's hand and providence upon all of the earth, upon all of time and everything that happens. And what they're doing by that act is they are taking from God the glory that is due him. And they will be judged and there will be a sentence for that. We must be on guard against the workers of iniquity and trust in and turn to God. And when I say turn to God, I also mean we should pray to God when believers are threatened by the actions of evildoers. David goes on in verses 6 through 9. And I believe it is also continuing as prayer but it is not supplication at this time. It's changed. He's giving thanks to the Lord. Sorrow and trouble turns into a prayer of praise. And the source of the strength that David professes is revealed. David says, give blessings to his Lord because he, he has heard his pleas for mercy. And the Lord has answered his prayer. It's very obvious. But he has instructed us to give blessings to God. How do we give blessings to the Lord? It comes by an active response from believers. We should remember two things. Those who pray in faith should rejoice in hope. When we pray in faith, we should rejoice in hope. In other words, when we go before the Lord, like David has done, like we have maybe done many times, we go to before him because we know that he is a God that can be trusted. That he has been faithful in the past. He does not lie. He does not change. 
He's the same today for, and forever. And that we can trust him. Even if our prayer is not answered in our timetable, even if we don't know how it's going to be resolved, we have a great hope. And that hope is God himself. And when we have that and profess it before him, that is blessing God. I remember I had a grade school teacher. He was from Nebraska. And he lived through the Great Depression. And he told um, the class this story one day about himself. And I think it really kind of speaks of a prayer of faith and hope. He said his mother told him that they they were sitting down for supper and this was the last food that they had in the house. She did not know how she was going to feed them tomorrow, but they had food tonight. And that was a good thing. And being a godly woman, she gave thanks. And she prayed that God would bless that food. And not knowing, Lord, where the next meal would come from, we're going to trust you. He said they were eating. There was a knock on the door. One of the parents went to the door, opened it, and it was a neighbor. And he was holding, he said, the biggest fish he'd ever seen. Now, I don't know if it was because of his small size that he thought that fish was great or because his hunger was so large, all he could see was meals. But it said it was so evident of God's grace and that when you have hope in him, he does deliver. How else do we bless God? What we receive in prayer, we must bring to we must bring to us must bring to us a response of praise. What we receive in prayer must bring us to a response in praise. We as parents trying to train our children will say to them, somebody gives them something nice and we'll look over at them and say, what do you say? Thank you. That's a response. But maybe it shouldn't go just as far as our children. Maybe we should remember that when God answers prayer, the way that we give a blessing back to him is to to acknowledge that it comes from him. Every good thing comes from God himself. This week I specifically ask that some people would pray for me in my time when I was preparing this message. I knew that I was going to be busy and that I wanted wanted God to lead and direct me. I know some of you are thinking, this guy's retired. What do you mean he's busy? I was busy. (laughs) But I think one of the things and the natures of this congregation, and I think that it, it is growing, is that we are a praying community. We come together, whether it's in community group or on, times, on our times on Wednesday night, and we pray, and we lift people up in prayer. And we also hear God's work in some of that prayer when, when they give a praise as to how God has answered it. But may I say to some of you today that are in this room, the prayers that we are praying for you may not have been answered 
yet. But God is faithful. And we know that he will answer them. And I say this because I think the next piece of scripture that we're going to read, verse 7, is one of those parts of God's word that we should make a note of and should be a strength to us and a comfort when we're still in that time when we don't know exactly what God is doing in our lives, but we know that he is faithful. And what I'd like us to do right now is I'd like us to read together verse 7, that it can speak to you of the faithfulness of God. It doesn't matter whether your translation is the same and reads exactly the same as what I have. Read what you have and, and listen to what you're saying to yourself. Let's read together verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. I want to read to you what Charles Spurgeon said about this piece of scripture. The verse divides into three parts. The first tells us of an assured possession. The Lord is my strength and my shield. The second speaks of a, defined, a, a, a definite experience. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. There are no ifs, no buts, no suspense of the soul midway between hope and fear. He speaks without a trace of hesitancy, for he tells of his own actual experience. The third part of our text properly, pro properly closes with an expression of emotion, a deep emotion. Therefore, my heart celebrates, and we see the inward emotion interpreted in a most proper fashion, by an audible utterance, I give thanks to him with my song. God's possession, Spurgeon says, is the believers are his people. In experience, believers have received God's place as their refuge. Expressed emotion, Believers respond in prayer. But we go from such a great statement of faith to the next thing that we see is, is, is David thinking too highly of, of himself? Is he saying, I'm really special? Because what it says is, he calls himself anointed. Does it mean that he's saying, I'm different than the rest of you because so many times I've been blessed by God. No. He literally was the anointed of God. He was to be king over his own people. So when God did that and set him apart like that, what he also did was expose him to the envy of all of his enemies that anointing would bring him the condemnation and, in some ways, lo probable loss of life if those that were um, to get a hold of him, such as Saul, wanted to kill him. The enemies around Israel, 
if they didn't like Israel, they weren't going to like his, their king. And even David in his own family was sought after in harm by own, his own children. But there's one also that is anointed by God himself who would save his people, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the anointed of God the Father. He came into this world being true God and true man. The purpose for him coming into this world was to save sinners from their sin. He would die a death that he did not deserve because he lived a perfect life. He would raise from the dead. He would die, raise from the dead, and have victory over the grave and over the devil himself. And for that, those that God enlightens to the truth of who they are, that they are sinful mankind, that their sin must be dealt with, when they trust in Jesus and his atoning work, they too are forgiven of their sin and can stand before God. And he does not see their sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ through faith. Jesus is the one who is the head of the church and gives strength to all the saints for them to continue on steadfast in following him. The psalm concludes with a short but comprehensive prayer for the church. The very church of God. Four things that we see that is prayed for by David. That God would save them from their enemies and the dangers they are exposed to. Also, that they would, be, would bless them, that he would bless them with all good things because of their heritage, because of who they belong to. God heaps great blessing upon those that he loves. Destruction will come to those that live apart from him, but blessing will come to those that call him Lord and Savior. But also he prays that, that God would shepherd them to direct them, feed them, through the teachers of his word. God equips men and women to share the truth of his word, not only to proclaim who he is, but change to help to change the hearts and lives of those that do not know him yet. And one of the great things that is that we can be part of that. But also, God has always called out specific men of great responsibility given to them that they would lead his flock, be his shepherds. Jesus would say to Peter himself, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times he said that to him because he wanted him to be a shepherd of his people, the leader to draw people unto God himself. God takes that work very seriously. And if you don't think so, I would say read Ezekiel 34 in your spare time. What happens to unfaithful shepherds? And lastly, 
that the Lord would be faithful to his people forever. David was speaking at a time, his time. He did not know how long he would be here or how long God would allow this earth to continue. But he knew, being a faithful God, that it would continue as long as it was the will of him that created it. That he would continue to draw a people unto himself. When I started preparing this message and looking at it, I thought, nine verses. It's not going to be that bad. There can't be that much there. I think to myself, did Pastor Brubaker think the same thing maybe just a few messages in Psalms back when he came to Psalm 23, those six little verses? And we remember how that was. And we remember, again, God's faithfulness in this word. So did God, in this psalm, answer those, answer those points that we talked about, those four in the beginning? I'm going to say yes. And the answer to all four of them is the same. God, the Lord. The strength to endure and be victorious through experiences of trial is only possible by, by a foundation built on the rock, Christ himself. There is only one reserve that never fails. That is the infinite power of God. He is the strength of his people, of his saints. Belief and strong conviction must be rightly placed. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Trust God. Never yield to the enemy. The enemy is defeated by God's anointed one, Christ Jesus himself, his victory over sin, death, and Satan himself. May our response be that of David's. With my song, I will give thanks to him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we see again your faithful servant being used to proclaim the truth of who you are, Lord, that you would give us that word that would stand for an eternity, Lord, and be as true then as it is today, that you are faithful. You are our strength. We can turn you to you in every adversity, everything that is unknown to us, because everything, Lord, is directed by your sovereign grace and will. And we thank you for that, Lord. May us never doubt in times of uncertainty where you are. You only are there to protect those that you have called to yourself. Lord, that might not mean that we don't come under persecution, that there would be those that would harm us, but what can man do to us? Because we will spend an eternity in your presence, giving you praise and honor for it all. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.